0: Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on liveto110.com. And today I'm very excited. We have Tom Maltaire of wholelifenutrition.net on the line. And today we're going to be talking about GMOs, genetically modified organisms, or genetically engineered foods, and how they dramatically alter gut health and cause a cascade of other health conditions and diseases just by eating a food. Um, But I also have to first do our disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment or diet that we suggest on the show. And if you want to sign up to get my free Live to 110 by Wayne Liss e-guide and a taste of my upcoming book, The Modern Paleo Survival Guide, you can uh, go to the website. There's millions of places you can sign up to get free copies of uh, five free survival guides and my weight loss guide. So go do that. And I also have a new episode of Modern Paleo Cooking up on the website. So definitely go check that out this week. It's all about butternut squash with sage, with fried sage. So good. I had a lot of fun making that on the show. So today we're going to be talking to Tom Maltaire. Um, He received his Bachelor's and Master's of Science in Nutrition from Bastyr University and is licensed by the state of Washington as a certified nutritionist. Tom travels throughout the United States and Canada lecturing at conferences on topics as diverse as vitamin D, gluten intolerance, and digestive health. He empowers his, his people, his followers through classes, seminars and private counseling uh, mm-hmm. with his insight and depth of knowledge about the biochemical interactions with our body and their relationship to our diet. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Wendy.
0: Yeah, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into nutrition and just your whole deal. <laughs> well,
1: that was a beautiful introduction. You, you said so much. Um, Well, basically, as a kid, my family doctor was Dr. John McDougall. And so, uh, you know, it was nice having an MD in my life who was saying, look, I'm never going to treat you with meds. I'm always going to start with food first and then I'm going to use medication second. So, as a kid, I mean, I used to listen to this guy lecture all the time. You know, I had a crush on his little daughter when, you know, we were 10 and nine years old or whatever. So, um, I kind of got into my head early, you know, if you're looking at cardiovascular disease, if you're looking at blood pressure, if you're looking at at, uh, cancer, then look at the food first because if you tap into any data whatsoever, you'll see that the diet will have a stronger correlation than any medication, anything else basically you can do other than maybe you know swallowing poison. So I said, wow, you know, this is amazing, right? I mean, food on our planet can change our health. That's, that's fascinating. Why? What is it? I mean, if pharmaceuticals are isolated chemicals that can affect single pathways, what are foods? And I started diving into it. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. Foods are... Tens of thousands of different chemicals, and they affect every single pathway in our human body. In fact, we are eloquently designed to interact with these chemicals on a daily basis. I mean, they will literally talk to our cells and tell us, you know, what proteins to make, how to express our genes, what specific things to produce depending on what specific stressors we're exposed to. I mean, really, the the discussion that happens between our food and our cells is gorgeous. It's eloquent. I'll never understand it, but I'm going to die trying. I'll tell you (laughs) that right now. Yeah,
0: I know. I continue to be amazed at how much you can learn about the human body and how it functions. It's so fascinating to me. So fascinating.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so die trying, I should say, so I went through, you know, I got a couple of science degrees, and I've just been a geek, right? I want to know everything, and anything that catches my attention, I'll go after, you know. So if I'm looking at thyroid function, I'll say, well, "What's going on beyond thyroid function?" I'll get together with my friend Alan Christensen and take his courses and and look at all the data. And then when it came to GMOs, it kind of came across when I was looking at gut health, gluten sensitivity, when I was looking at thyroid function, when I was looking at leaky gut, uh, and it, it kind of. You know, fit in. I, I talked to Dr. Don Huber, who's a plant pathologist from Purdue University. He's had over 50 years of service both in the military and, and as a civilian in looking at chemical alterations in our environment. And then, um, you know, Jeffrey Smith, who's a world renowned expert, uh, got to talk with him. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Michael Antonio, Dr. Professor Seralini. Uh, Dr. Michael Antonio works with genes himself, genetics. And then uh, Dr. Ceralini, of course, is, quote, unquote, the controversial French researcher who's looked at the effect of both the GM crops, the genetically modified crops, and the pesticides associated with genetically modified crops, and how they changed cellular function. And he had that rat study that scared everybody and that got yes. withdrawn and then put back and you know, whatever. So um, I'd love to tell his story when we get around to that as well, because he, he has his own side to his story. I got to interview him for 55 minutes the day after that, that article was oh, published. Wow. And so, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's crazy. His crew is crazy. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Those you're rats just- grow <laughs> huge <laughs> tumors. <laughs> yeah, right. It's frightening. You're just crediting that one article and you're doing it off the base of tumors. And you're saying, look, you can't extrapolate from the data and say that with this control size and this type of mouse that that tumor was a result of the genetically modified crop and or the roundup that was fed in the feed, right? But the, the weird thing is, you know, that, that's not all the study found. I mean, the study found pituitary alterations. It found kidney alterations, liver alterations. It found completely different levels of antioxidants in the animals that were fed the GM food or the GM-associated pesticides. So wait a second. That, that's telling me – wait, wait, wait. The, the intake of antioxidants goes down from those particular foods, and they're looking at caffeic and ferulic acids. And you know, no one's really looking at that minutiae. No one's looking – and saying, wait, there's minor changes that are occurring. Everybody's saying, oh, you can't say that it causes these huge tumors. That's ridiculous. But what about all the rest of this stuff? They couldn't discredit that. Mm -hmm. And when you look back at all of his other studies, that he was looking at glyphosate effects and his recent studies, those haven't been withdrawn. Those aren't discredited. So, you know, his lab actually does some amazing work. Mm -hmm. So to just poo-poo him off of that one study because it's so controversial and it had so much press seems a little unscientific to me. It yeah. seems like you know, we should really examine what some of the findings were in those studies. For example, that lab, his study showed us that 90-day safety trials are not adequate for those chemicals and or foods. Okay, 90-day safety trials are the industry standard. Yeah. So, you know, we have over 87,000 chemicals in industrial use right now in the United States, whether it's coming from agriculture, flame retardants, or plastics, whatever it is, And did you know in 2010, and this was an article published in Pediatrics in 2011, in 2010, there were 74 billion pounds of chemicals imported or produced in the United States every single day, 74 billion pounds. Now, think about that for a second, okay? That's over 250 pounds per person per day, per day, okay? And then when you think about that number, they weren't even looking at pesticides they were looking at roundup they weren't looking at all of the other chlorpyrifos malathion all the other things that are being used in agriculture all the time right they weren't looking at food additives of course we have all of the preservatives that we're putting in our foods the, the food dyes that we're putting in our foods they weren't looking at fuels okay and you know coal hello look at coal and all it's it's catastrophe of pollution and they weren't looking at pharmaceuticals so how many people do you know over the age of 40 that aren't on four to five to six medications in the United States? I mean I'm seeing kids who are coming in at six months of age on Zantac from their pediatric yeah, uh, you know, physicians because they have you know, colic or something. You know, so the, the amount of chemicals we're exposed to is astronomical.
0: And we wonder why everyone has poor gut health and digestive issues.
1: Right. And then when you look at, okay, who's supposed to be evaluating this? It looks like out of all those chemicals, less than 3,000 have had really adequate safety testing, and all of those trials primarily were done for 90 days on animals, Yeah. 90 days. And here's what we're seeing, Wendy. What we're seeing from Seralini and others is that the gradual effects of organ function, hormonal function, occur over one-sixth of the animal's lifetime, not 90 days, but we're looking at past 120 days, okay? So if you looked at one-sixth of the lifespan of a human, we're looking at 13, 14, 15 years, depending on male or female. so how many chemical trials do you know where people are exposed to something and they're waiting that many years? Yeah So uh, why am I saying all this? I'm going to say this because you know GMOs in the. US were introduced primarily in 1996, 1996. And if you go back. And you look at increased rates of thyroid cancer, or if you look at increased rates of irritable bowel hospitalization or complications or death, or if you look at celiac disease, or if you look at autism, you'll see this, or diabetes or obesity even, you'll see this spike start happening around that same time. Now, it could be completely coincidental. It could be. It's, it's totally possible. But at that time, what happened was we kind of had this clean bill to say, all right, industrial agriculture. Is great. It's going to quote unquote feed the world, right? So let's go ahead and genetically modify a bunch of plants to either withstand the application of hundreds of millions of pounds of, of herbicides, pesticides, or let's go ahead and put a pesticide in the plant itself, and then have that repel the rootworm or whatnot. So the BT corn, which perhaps you've heard of, right? They actually every single cell of that plant will produce this natural quote unquote pesticide.
0: It's lovely. It'll, it's a lovely well, thought.
1: <laughs> well the the problem is is, you know, come on, this is a safe chemical. I mean it's used in organic agriculture and when you spray it on the crops, you know, it will will keep some pests at bay. But then when it's exposed to air, water, sunlight, it will degrade over time. Get it in the soil, degrade relatively quickly. When you trap that component within a cell, it doesn't have that exposure to the natural elements as much. So the the kind of upsetting thing was when we looked at females and their offspring, unborn offspring, and we found in in Quebec right, that there was a high level of this BT toxin in the blood. High level of BT toxin. Because it was supposed to be degraded in the digestive tract, it was supposed to be dispersed out of the system relatively quickly. So how is this happening? Where is this coming from? Right? So the theory is, is that you know it, it survives. It's ending up in the bloodstream. And if it does, then is it causing any harm? And there's really no studies examining this, which is, seems insane to me. But if you have a high level of Bt, is it because it's getting in through the intestinal tract how it does through an insect's intestinal tract? I mean, this chemical is designed to... Create pores in the intestinal tract of the insects and allow for the migration of microbes through, and then have that animal die of a type of sepsis. Right. So that's, or insect in this case, not animal. That's kind of uh, disturbing to think like, well, what if it's doing something similar in our human
0: bodies? Yeah, and what that's if- in cor- soy as well. The BT toxin.
1: So BT is just going for approval right now in soy. It's been okay. in for an extended period of time. But usually what they'll do is they'll do what's called double-stack traits. Mm-hmm. So you'll have the Roundup ready and you'll have the BT trait, so you'll get them both. So not only will you have this BT toxin, but you also have that spray of Roundup and the Roundup residue. Yeah. And, you know, let's, let's look at Roundup for a second. So it was a BT toxin, toxic, causes pores, could be an intestinal irritant. We don't know. We have no idea because there's no human trials on this, although it's been in the food supply for quite some time. Let's look at what Roundup does, since you have two traits. One is to put the toxin in the cell of the plant. The other one is to allow the plant to withstand the application of the toxin. And in this case, it's a unique toxin, right? Glyphosate-based herbicides. Glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup. And what it does is it's a very potent mineral chelator, so you have a mineral, you have the Roundup, and the Roundup, due to its structure, right? form equals function in science, it will bind tightly to the mineral and not let it go. And in the particular case of Roundup, it binds very tightly to a mineral called manganese. And the manganese, when it's applied, you know, glyphosate applied to a plant, usually with a surfactant, it gets rid of the waxy layer, allows for the penetration of the glyphosate into the plant. Then. It will bind to the manganese in the plant making it unavailable for the plant's use. now what are minerals in the human body? I mean why do we say you know these vital amines is what they used to be called vitamins and minerals right these vital components for life they they keep us going. what are they needed for you? well they're primarily they they're what's called cofactors for enzymes. so what did we just say we said Form equals function in the body, right, when we talked about chelation. It's the same thing with enzymes. You have a protein, a haloenzyme, enzyme, that's floating around, and it can't really be in the right form to interact with something until it has a cofactor. And the cofactor will kind of dock in there, and then all of a sudden, that new shape, that new form, can interact with other things. Well, it turns out that manganese is a really important cofactor for an enzyme, a protein, called the EPSPS enzyme. And this particular enzyme will have downstream metabolites, meaning this protein will facilitate the changing of shape, right, of other things. Okay, because well, I don't want to complicate this, but it's all about information. A particular form of a protein will allow it to mate with another form of a substance. And then that will change its shape, and then that will mate, and then that will change its shape, and that will mate. So the downstream actions that occur is this uh, EPSPS enzyme makes tryptophan, it makes phenylalanine, it makes tyrosine, it'll make this caffeic and ferulic acid we talked about earlier, other phenolic substances, folates, you've heard of folic acid and the importance for neural tube defects, for example. So you look at all of the things that come downstream from this enzyme, and if that enzyme doesn't work, you don't get those things. So what happens? Well, the plants get very weak. They can't function, but there's a secondary effect of the glyphosate. Glyphosate, in stealing the minerals from microbes, will become toxic to microbes. Okay, so. You look up in the air, right? You look in the water. You look on your skin. You look in the soil everywhere. What do you see on this planet? Trillions of organisms everywhere, everywhere. We are outnumbered 10 to 1 just on our bodies. By gene expression, we're outnumbered 1 to 150. There are microbes everywhere. They give us life. We could not access minerals in the environment without a lot of microbes. We couldn't produce a lot of nutrients in our own intestinal tract via microbes. And it turns out that glyphosate is a biocidal. It kills certain microbes. Uh Uh-oh. So we've knocked out the microbes maybe that could be beneficial. And guess what? It's selective. So it actually leaves behind some of the non-beneficial, some of the Clostridium perfringens, for example, Clostridium botulinum, some of the Salmonella species that can be toxic, and it will kill some of the beneficial ones that you know about, the Lactobacillus bifido, and whatnot. So we end up with this pathogenic imbalance, these disease-causing organisms overtaking some of the beneficials, and so you end up in an environment of dis-ease, if that makes sense. So let's say you have pathogenic organisms growing in the soil, and let's say you have a weak plant. The plant becomes susceptible to the microbes and dies. That's the mechanism of action of Roundup. Steal life-giving minerals, leave the soil imbalanced, potentially pathogenic, and boom, plant dies. Now, let's stop and think about this for a second. What do we need for life? Do we need minerals? What do we need for life? Do Do we need tryptophan, phenylalanine, and tyrosine? Well, what are those used for? I mean, let's take tryptophan, for example. It's the least common amino acid on the planet, okay? The least common. You're lucky if you're getting 1.5 grams in a day. And yet, this single amino acid will allow you to make some very important neurotransmitters, neurological communicating molecules. Things that talk to your brain and allow you to feel certain things. Things like serotonin. You've heard of that one, the feel-good neurotransmitter, right? If you want to feel like you're having a great life, you want to sing the feral happy song all the time, (laughs) then go over some serotonin, right? And then serotonin, through a couple more steps, needing some of the cofactors like folates, for example, will become melatonin. And what's melatonin? We all know that one is the the post-Thanksgiving turkey effect, right? I'm so tired after I eat my tryptophan, Ah, right? You want to sleep well. You want to wake up feeling refreshed and happy. So tryptophan is needed. You have to have it. Where do we get tryptophan from in nature? Tryptophan is made by, via the EPSPS enzyme, it is made by plants and microbes. So if the plants and microbes can't make it as much because we're spreading hundreds of millions of pounds of herbicide all over the place that inhibit that enzyme in both microbes and plants, I don't think anybody's even examining the repercussions. I don't think anybody's going around and saying, in nature, do we have as much tryptophan, which was already the least common amino acid on the planet, do we have as much tryptophan as we did Before this onslaught of use, the 512 million pound increase use of this herbicide on this planet, do we even know? Because the introduction of genetically modified foods directed us towards that. We're now using it all over the place. And you know what? It's not just on the foods. I mean, I live in the great northwest. I just took my kids up on a ridgeline last night. We were hanging out. It was absolutely gorgeous. And we could see clear cuts everywhere. And when you see a clear cut up in the Northwest, you know that after the evergreens, the Doug firs primarily, were chopped down, some cedar too, they were chopped down, then what they'll do is they'll plant the seedlings after they'll kill the underbrush seedlings. So they're worried about alder coming up first. They're worried about other things shooting up some of the berry bushes. So they'll spray the herbicide all over the hillside, drain into the water supply and whatnot. What are we doing? This is everywhere. Look at the side of the roadway on all highways, right? As you go down, you'll see this, you know, foot or two foot long buffer of brown. Yeah. They don't want the weeds, they don't want the plants growing over the asphalt and breaking up the asphalt. So they'll just spray this Roundup. And we used to think, oh, come on, it's gone in 20, 40 days, you know, it's gone, no big deal. But now we're seeing, okay, it can be sequestered into the soil and chelate minerals in the soil and disappear that way. It can potentially degrade by microbes. So microbes can actually interact with it and degrade it. That's a possibility. But there are cases now we're seeing where some of this roundup may last in the environment in, in certain situations up to 20 years.
0: Oh, gosh. Now, it's frightening. It,
1: oh, think about this. How can you know the results of anything you do, right? How can you foresee what's going to happen? Let's, let's identify real fast one. This is not a terrible thing. This just is, right? I think the people who were applying the herbicides were thinking, weeding sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to save money. I want to save, you know, man time. I, I, want to, I want to cause, you know, as much joy in people's lives as I can. I don't think this was a, a malintented thing. But what I think is we, we never really thought of all the repercussions. We never really thought, okay, this is what we're doing. Let's be aware of what we're doing. And then let's look at long-term effects. I don't think anybody could predict it. Right? I don't think anybody would have seen some of the rat studies that are showing liver toxicity and antioxidant stress. I don't think anybody would have predicted all of the studies that are now coming out about the endocrine disrupting effect of the, the glyphosate, meaning it switches hormones. I don't think anybody would have predicted the increased rise of encephaly, which is a, a, a neural tube defect, You know some of the birth defects. I don't think anybody would have ever predicted those things. Yeah. But now that we're seeing them, how many times can... People look at those studies, there are literally hundreds of studies now, hundreds of studies. How many times can they look at those studies and say, oh, these are all false? Mm. No, there's, there's no truth here. There's no possibility that there could be harm. Because come on. I mean, the reality is no scientist, no scientist worth their grain of salt or worth their paycheck, what do you want to, analogy you want to use, will look at the situation and say there is no harm. You can't predict that. You have no idea. I mean, this is a, a new to nature compound, and you're putting increasing amounts. We're finding it in the air. We're finding it in the soil. We're finding it in the water. From moms across America, we're finding it in the breast milk. We're finding it, you know, the BT toxins. We're now finding in in the cord blood of unborn infants. We're finding it all over the place. It's all over the place. How can you? I don't think Einstein can foresee what's going to happen to cell function over time. I don't think you can see what's going to happen to microbe function over time. So I think what we kind of have to do is we have to take a back step and we have to say we don't know. We really don't know. And although it's been beneficial for some people and increasing profit, what's it been for the bottom line of life on this planet? Because my my awakening that I'm getting Wendy is, you know, I have these five beautiful kids and Every day I wake up and I, I watch them grow and I want to do everything I can to protect them. They're so joyful. I mean, they just sing and dance spontaneously all the time. And you look at that and you just go, oh, that's just so sweet. How can I give them the best possibility for a fabulous future, right? And when I think of all these things, I, I, mean, I, I wake up to an inbox of new research studies every single morning. And the more research studies I read, the more I go, oh, I'm not sure... Industry has been taking into consideration my children, your children, your neighbor's children, everybody's next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, like that, right? I think they're very much focused on the currency of today, which is the dollar bill, or the gold, or the silver, or you name the currency, depending on what country you live in. But what we're not looking at is the true currency of life itself. We need to breathe clean air. We need to drink clean water. We need to eat mineral dense foods, amino acid rich foods. Those things will work together in our body to balance out our mood, to balance out our energy, to provide antioxidant protection which will alleviate joint pain, will alleviate headaches. I mean, these are all incredibly important dynamic features of life that all stem from the elements around us. Those, those things are the true currencies. So
0: they're- what are some of the things that, what are some of the problems that GMOs are causing specifically in our guts? And what are some of the things that we can do to, to heal our gut if they've been damaged by GMOs? Because I, I know so many people, even if they're trying to eat perfectly organic, they're eating paleo, they're eating whole foods, whatever they're trying to do, you still get a chip every once in a while, or you still um, try mom's cooking, and she used regular corn, or what have you. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's everywhere. It's in all the restaurants. Um, yes. All, yes. all of them. Every single one. So what what are someone to do?
1: That's such a great thing. I'm going to bring one awareness because you you know you you can avoid the corn, the soy, the canola, the cottonseed. There is your highest concentration of Roundup-laden foods, and there was a new study showing that the the organic versus the conventional soy, uh, you know, or the GMO soy, there was different nutrient content, and there was a higher level of the Roundup residue in the GMO-produced soy, of course. So, yes, those those four crops, just avoid those entirely. Sugar beets, you may want to avoid. So, if you see something that's sugar and it doesn't say 100% cane sugar. And ideally, you would do organic cane sugar because they do spray Roundup on the cane as well. So, um, yeah, you know, being conscious of that. And and I want to bring another piece into this. And that is when you're making a decision to go organic, when you're making a decision to go GMO free, you are protecting not just yourself but you're protecting the air, the water, the food, the soil, the next few generations, the people who live within 500 meters of the application site, or maybe 1,500 meters from a recent study. We're seeing, you know, I'm part of the Autism Research Institute. We see the studies that show 6.1 time increase of autism for the women who live close to pesticide areas. That's not necessarily Roundup, but there is a recent study that showed within 1,500 meters, so basically within a mile of application of certain pesticides. So. You know, we, we have to be conscious, right? When we buy something, it affects us and a lot of other things. Okay, And the other piece is, you know, the skincare products. Have you noticed these days, like I used to buy, a, a, I don't want to highlight a brand, but it was called Something Organics, right? And I was like, oh wow, I love these products. They're great, they're organic, they focus on a lot of organic supply and whatnot. And as time goes on, I noticed the organics just disappeared from the label what what just what just happened there right because they have GMO ingredients in them and now you know if you ever go out and you try and develop a supplement or a skincare product line which a lot of my colleagues do and I used to be on a medical affairs board for development of supplementation it's tough it's really tough
0: I know I'm trying to design a supplement line right now and everything is from China or GMO or something it's very difficult (laughs) people don't know that yeah. People
1: know know that behind the scenes, while they weren't even looking, everything turned into this conventional chemical use soup. And so, you know, whenever you apply something by something ingest just a supplement, a lot of times you're getting stuff that's genetically modified or had chemicals applied to it. And
0: that's why there's so few supplements that are USD organic. There's hardly any. And it's such a popular thing. People want those products and there's so few for that very reason. Yeah. About.
1: yeah. So uh, you had a couple of questions. Number one, number one was how to avoid it. So I gave you a couple of different things for the foods to avoid, right? The soy, corn, cottonseed, canola, and then sugar beets. Okay. So if you can get rid of those five particular things from your diet entirely- Even your, organic? Your possibility of cross-contamination on corn, soy, and canola are extremely high. Mm-hmm. And now, unfortunately, alfalfa, you know- there's this genetic crossover, right? You have this cross-pollination, and then all of a sudden you had a crop that wasn't genetically modified, is genetically modified. It's really hard not to find genetically crossed crops due to the pollination. So that's tough. So if you wanted to completely avoid, you could do that. That's a possibility. The other possibility is, of course, being very selective and quizzing, being an investigator. And I'll tell you, There's nothing that drives change on this planet like a consumer. And if you are a very proactive consumer and you're calling up a manufacturer and saying, okay, you know, I see this is GMO free, but I don't see a certification on here. Or, you know, I don't see non-GMO product certified or whatever it is. If you push as a consumer and say, I'm happy to buy your product when you do this, you know, or, I see that your chips have organic canola oil in it. Can you guarantee there's no cross-contamination? Would you be willing to consider a different oil? I mean, there's chips now being made with coconut oil that are delicious. Delicious. I don't know if you've tried those Jackson's brand of, of chips, but come on. I mean, there are options out there, right? Yeah. So we can push that. We can be conscious consumers, and I think that's a very, very powerful place to be. Very powerful. Then the other piece is you said, what can I do to heal myself after eating genetically modified foods for years? And it's kind of the same answer. To heal yourself, you stop participating in the process, number one, because if you are participating, you're contributing to our entire globe being saturated with chemicals. If you step back from that, then you will have less of an influence on that, right? You'll have more influence in directing towards a cleaner planet. And that will affect you because it's in the air, the water, it's everywhere, okay? So that's the first step. The second step is grow your own food if you can, if it's possible. Get to know your farmers. Get to know the people who are supplying food around you. I'm going to put on my website, wholelifenutrition.net, this this video I did of this permaculturist, okay, who – Oh my gosh, he blew my mind. It was so beautiful, right? He put his cows and his ducks and his goats at the top of his farm. And then as it rained, all their manure would get washed down through these bioswales, okay, that he redirected. He would slow it down and spread it out. And he would kind of capture the water as much as he could. So he didn't have to use any irrigation at all. It was fascinating. And then he had these storage ponds that would bleed over through the summertime. So there's this. There's this thinking of some farmers. They're extremely conscious of not using any fertilizers, not using any pesticides, any herbicides, and having very diverse yields. I mean, he was growing plums and apples and raspberries and and grains and beans and you know. And then he had his his chickens and the eggs and the, I mean, the whole farm was amazing. And if you can line up with people like that, or you can inquire as to how you can purchase products from people like that, then, boy, you will change the face of agriculture on this planet. But then, of course, there are people who live in the cities, right, and they can't they can't have access to that. So I would say, you know, look for the pasture-finished, look for the organic, look for the non-GMO labeling on your products because that will give you less of a chance of having any sort of genetic modification, of course, or pesticide contamination, but more importantly, think of what happens. Think of what happens. So, for example, in the Midwest right now, Indiana area, in Chicago, actually, Illinois, they've been looking at the rhizosphere. They've been looking at how the use of Roundup over years on genetically modified crops kills the microbes in the soil. And when it does that, it leaves those plants more susceptible to this fusarium uh, uh, infection, which is a disease of the plants It makes the plants weep, right? So the soil microbes are responsible for what? They stimulate the root nodules on the plants to then interact with the soil, right, and They'll secrete acids, and then the root nodules will absorb the minerals. So not only are you going to have less pesticide exposure, okay, potential irritants in your life, but you're going to get more mineral-dense, more nutrient-dense foods, which will give you more nutrients. And Wendy, what I'm seeing in clinical practice, and this is my friend Sydney Baker, who's, who's told me about this. He says, look, Tom, all disease is primarily from either getting too much of things you don't need or too little of things that you do need. So the state of dis ease is an imbalance. It's a state of getting too many irritants and not enough nutrients. And nutrients would include things like, you know, love and a sense of purpose and you know, or irritants would be things like stress as well. But then they include the pesticides, the herbicides, the air pollution, you know and in the year twenty fourteen, the irritants are going like this, right? Yeah. And the nutrients are just dropping. So is it any wonder then? that we're all walking around and so many people have irritated bowels. So many people have stress and anxiety and depression. And instead of looking to say, well, what nourishes us? What gives us the neurotransmitters to calm our brains down, to bring in the happiness, to put us to bed at night and tuck us in? Mm -hmm. Instead of looking how can we increase those nutrients, we'll add in a chemical that will inhibit... A serotonin to being reuptake, right? <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? So you inhibit the reuptake of the serotonin, and that has its own side effects. So yeah, it, it's it's a mindset that we've spun ourselves in, and I think the GMO is kind of right in the middle of that mindset. It's like, how can we make this mechanical, industrial, capitalistic um, leap forward? monetary leap forward without any respect for the nutrients, the essential elements. Mm. So I, I would say that's that's the mindset we're stuck in.
0: So what are some other things that people can do, say if their leaky gut has been damaged by GMOs, should they be taking probiotics to fight the Bt toxin, should they be drinking uh, bone broth? or what are some specific mm-hmm. things people can do in their daily lives to try to, to heal their gut? Well,
1: let's look at those. Um, probiotics themselves are potentially beneficial. If you knocked out some of the beneficial species and you needed to replace those, and we're now seeing that some of the exact species that are knocked out, some of the lactobacilli, bifido species, are indeed what you get in probiotic supplementation. So, yes, yes. And I would say, interestingly enough, in my own clinical practice, there are two primary supplements, two that I see the biggest bang for the buck in a short period of time. And that is one probiotics, two amino acids. So let's imagine that this world is where it's at right now due to chemical imbalances. Let's imagine you just can't spray or use billions of pounds of chemicals every single day without adversely affecting microbes, without adversely affecting plants. And when you do affect those plants and those microbes, and they are responsible for a lot of our B vitamins, a lot of our amino acids that help our brain function, if you give some of that stuff back, either give the microbes back or give the amino acids and B vitamins back, what's going to happen? And I would say, you know, I can tell you what happens. People sleep better. People get happier. People's muscle tone comes back, you know? So the amino acid supplementation can occur through complex amino acid supplementation, like you get an amino acid spread, right, that you get at your local um, practitioner's office, for example, or you can do a bone broth. You can do a super stew. Um, I have a turkey chili sitting on my desk here, and, uh, you know, it's fantastic. It's, uh, you know, this pastured organic turkey. Our, Our friends from the farm have turkey, and we have local people here that do these amazing turkeys. And you soak that in with the vegetables over time and a lot of herbs, culinary herbs, have not only incredible amounts of vitamins and minerals, but they have incredible amounts of those plant compounds, those antioxidant plant compounds that are produced in there. And they have certain elements that balance out the microbes. So a lot of culinary herbs of culinary herbs, whether you're looking at basil, you're looking at mint, whether you're looking at thyme, you're looking at oregano, they'll knock out pathogens and allow for the growth of beneficials. Mm. They, they actually communicate via their chemical structure and disrupt bacterium from overgrowing. It's fascinating. They'll disrupt the formation of what's called biofilms. But So the whole soup idea, the whole stew idea, the whole bone broth idea, if you have a Digestive disorder, inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome, then those bone broths are, you know, there's, there's nothing to it. Right? You're not going to get a lot of starches in there to have a hard time digesting. So those are wonderful ideas. Now, um, the secondary piece of the probiotic is that you can get your probiotics in your food. You can get more of the amino acids in your food. So If you're into yogurts, if you're into kefir, if you are into lacto fermented vegetables, if you're into sauerkraut, if you're into fermented eggs as they do up in Alaska, if you're into fermented fish as they do in Asia, the fermentation process will give you both the probiotics and the amino acids simultaneously. So that's a wonderful way. I mean, all indigenous cultures do that intentionally or non-intentionally. I mean, before refrigeration, we did that all the time. We just spoiled your food, right? And we make stuff, we make our own apple cider vinegar by just leaving you know, pressed apples over time. Or One of my favorite things to do is for my uh, children with autism that can't do the dairy, for example, is we'll have them grind up some cashews in a, in a vitamin with a little bit of water, or you can do coconut milk if they want it really rich, a little bit of chia seeds, right? And then we'll just spoon in some probiotics And I'll use, uh, you know, this blend of powder probiotic, throw it in there. And then, you know, let that sit in a glass yogurt maker. We have a glass jar yogurt maker. And then overnight, warm it. And the next morning, you know, it's bubbling and looking beautiful. And then what we'll do is just chop up some fresh fruit. If the child can tolerate the peaches, you've got peaches or you're doing berries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, whatnot. Delicious. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so you're getting some of the amino acids in there and you're getting the probiotics simultaneously. So there's lots of lots of different ways of doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so so what are some of the ways that uh, specifically I am very interested in this and how exactly these GMOs are damaging our gut lining. Like what is the mechanism? I mean, you you explained that the the GMOs, the BT toxin in the GMOs will kill microbes in our gut. Um, but so, so what exactly is that mechanism?
1: Yeah. Number one, let's look at this. There are no human trials yet on this. There are none. Even though we've had these in the food supply since 1996, there are no human trials. So when we talk about disruption of microbes, we'll talk about a fish trial, we'll talk about a poultry trial, we'll talk about a cattle trial. So we're extrapolating from the animal data, showing it's very clear, very clear there is a disruption but we don't know what's happening in humans. I don't know if you've seen the uh, Danish gentleman on the, the Greenpeace talks talking about his uh, pig farm and how he changes the feed from GMO feed to non-GMO feed and the pigs' GI tracts change. I don't know if you've seen Howard Vliger, who's an agricultural consultant traveling around, looking at the stomachs of the animals after slaughter and looking at the intestinal tracts of the animals, and you'll see there's a considerable amount of inflammation but you know, this is all extrapolation of data now because we don't have the human test. So you're asking, what's happening in the human intestinal tract after the consumption of GMO foods or pesticides associated with GMOs? And I can say, I have no idea, yeah. okay? So I have to give that caveat first. I have no idea. Nobody has any idea, yeah. but we really should be looking. Absolutely we should be looking because what I do know is what you're seeing and every practitioner is seeing right now in the last 10 years, something weird has happened. Something really weird has happened in that I have so many more people with irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel. They have fructose intolerance, lactose intolerance. Something is disrupting celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, dairy sensitivity, soy sensitivity, whatever it is, something is disrupting the immune cells and the communication along the intestinal lining. Something is disrupting that. So whether it is the BT toxin that we've all gotten in and and is causing pores in there, maybe. Whether it's the glyphosate changing or the Roundup-based, you know, glyphosate-based herbicides like Roundup, Rodeo, is it's changing the bacterium in our intestinal tract, which is then causing a disruption of that intestinal barrier, which is causing more inflammation, leaky gut. We don't really know, but those are the two primary mechanisms we're imagining, is that if the B-T toxin is intact like we're seeing in the the children and women in, in Quebec, if the glyphosate is causing the same reactions from the animals as it does in humans, then it's a logical association to say, well, likely there's some disruption then in the intestinal environment that leaves people more susceptible to leaky gut, it leaves them more susceptible to then having a constant inflammation in their intestinal tract. And when you look at the food sensitivity research, the celiac research, you will see very clearly that if you have a leaky gut, constant inflammation in the intestinal tract, you're far more likely to get most diseases. Yeah. I mean, the seat of your immune system is your intestinal tract. Yeah. The majority of your immune cells are there to protect you from viruses, bacteria, and parasites, everything else. That's why they line that inner tube of life to protect you from those 26 tons of foreign molecules you will chew up and swallow in your lifetime in food. So if you irritate the intestinal tract, you irritate the body. And the question then becomes is how much, how much of our GMO food supply now is irritating the intestinal tract? And there are no trials on this. And I would say that this, this is a you know, some of the largest conglomerate corporations on the planet are chemical companies. Dow, Bayer, Genta, Monsanto. You've heard all those big names, DuPont. And they sponsor a lot of the agricultural research departments. Or Stanford, for example, got a nice grant from Cargill. And, uh, you know, after that, a, a, a study came out, a review on organics. that kind of said organics really aren't that much better than non-organics. I don't know how much the industry is affecting behind the scenes, but we can imagine due to their lobby strength that they will inhibit research because we know immediately if a research article comes out against chemicals, that there'll be a backlash in the media that says, oh no, come on, it's nonsense. That chemical couldn't be causing those problems, right? But I want you to logically put the pieces together and say, what's causing this drastic spike in disease? Yeah, how I mean, can we know. Have-
0: we yeah. know that leaky gut leads to autoimmune. Now it leads to food sensitivities and allergies and autism and these things. Like you said, they're skyrocketing.
1: Thirty percent increase of autism in two years. Thirty percent increase. I mean, talk to anybody who's into autism research, and they're not going to say it's because we're having more sensitive diagnostic criteria. These no nonsense. That's not true. If you're a clinician who sees autistic children, you'll know there's a drastic spike. Don't insult us by saying it's you know, an increase of being able to diagnose this stuff. So the reality is that something is there. It's not our genetics. Those don't change within a decade or two. They don't change. What changes is environmental exposure. What changes is our microbiome, the little microscopic universe around us. And then you start to ask, well, what's altering those? What's altering that environment? What's stimulating us to be on alert and alarm all the time? And the only probable suspect you look at is the 74 billion pounds per day that we're introducing of certain chemicals. I mean, just logically. I mean, I want to go somewhere else. Trust me. I want to go somewhere. I want to say it's the high-fructose corn syrup. I want to say it's the sugar. I want to say it's the stuff that would be easy to get out of the diet. I wanna say it has nothing to do with clean air, clean water, clean soil. And logically it it just doesn't make any sense not to look at those things. They are the true currency. And if you're in debt, if you're in deficit, if you're in a state of dis ease, too many irritants, not enough nutrients, then you have to you have to think, well, what are the true currencies? You know, where is that clean air, clean water, clean food?
0: Just well, Tom- make sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show that was so fascinating and I would just I'm so happy I had you on I heard you on Tom O'Brien's the gluten oh. summit oh great and it was just uh, your presentation was amazing so I just had to have you on the show <laughs> um, but i I have one question that I like to ask all of my guests what do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today
1: uh, I would say um, industrial agriculture mm-hmm. I I would definitely say if we could get back to being connected to the land, that it would change our health tremendously. So for example, I was just living up in the hills and when you are looking at the plants around you, the animals around you, the water around you, and I've done survival courses before, you you grasp the importance of every aspect of life. You really grasp that you rely on that spring water, you rely on those small animals, you rely on those plants, you rely on that soil being vital for your survival. And I think if we can pull that consciousness back, I mean we're so removed from life. Everybody's sitting in cubicles and we're running out and we're grabbing these packages of bright colored food and we have no idea where it came from, how it was produced, what is alive or not alive in the soil where it came from. What is the air like around it where it came from? What's the water like downstream from there? You know, we're, we're just removed from that. We're totally removed from that. So I think if we could reconnect with where our food comes from, how it's produced, then I think we'd completely change not only our health, but the health of the entire planet.
0: Yeah, and I, I tell that to all my clients, and I firmly believe that to be truly healthy, if you don't want to supplement, uh, which I think most people need to be supplementing minerals, mainly minerals... Uh, If you're not willing to do that, you have to grow your own food because even people that eat organic food, um, I know because I've perused all the farmers markets in Los Angeles, I've talked to all the vendors, I know where the best strawberry is and the best cucumber and the best of everything is, but even a lot of those vendors use chemical fertilizers. Even those vendors that have really good food. They still don't have any financial incentive to remineralize the soil every year when they're planting a new crop. So unless you are a master gardener re- and you know how to remineralize your soil, or however method you do it, um, you're not getting enough minerals and nutrients.
1: Yeah, and you know I can't wait to put that interview up with that permaculturist because. He would grow multitude of different crops, and knowing which ones were nitrogen fixers, what's going to give us more phosphorus in the soil, it was was really intricate and was really gorgeous. And he basically said, you know, you need that diversity. You need all the different types of plants. If you're monocropping, and you're just growing one particular thing, and then you're rotating and doing another particular thing, and then rotating, instead of growing multiple different things at the same time, um, you're going to be missing out on the ability to let all those nutrients, once the plant dies off, go back into the soil and enrich and enliven the soil. And then if you're tilling and you're knocking out some of the beneficial species, I mean, organisms grow depending on oxygen exposure. So if you till, you're killing a lot of beneficial oxygen lovers up at the top. So you know, there's a lot of consciousness, a lot of awareness about how life works and that we're not alone. There's this microscopic universe. There are other animals that rely on us. Once we have that awareness and we're grateful, we have the gratitude, we're grateful for the fact that we're part of something much bigger than us. Mm. And we, we can be wonderful stewards on this planet and not only be healthy ourselves, but revel in the health of the world around us. That's the, that's the key right there.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. <laughs> nice. So, Tom, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? You have uh, oh. lots of amazing videos and all kinds of free stuff on your website. I love watching okay. your videos because you're ah. so eloquent and so well-spoken. So, why don't oh. you tell the listeners where they can find you and kind of like up, upcoming events that you have and whatnot. Sure.
1: Sure. Well, those are One Shot Wonder videos. I don't do any sort of scripting ever, so thank you for the compliment on that. I just kind of wing it. Um, But yeah, wholelifenutrition.net, wholelifenutrition.net, that's the primary website. My wife has a wonderful recipe blog called nourishingmeals.com, where she gives away free, -free, gluten-free, dairy-free, organic, GMO-free recipes all the time. So that's great. And then we also have our books, the Whole Life Nutrition Cookbook and the Nourishing Meals Cookbook. Those are on Amazon, or you can get it on our website as well. So. That's the best way to access us. You know, I teach physicians and other healthcare practitioners online how to apply functional medicine principles into their clinical practice. And we do diet stuff. We do all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, come to the website.
0: Yeah, lots of good stuff on there. And listeners, you can get there's a free download We get lots of free recipes and all kinds of fun stuff going on over there. <laughs> Great. Well, Tom, again, thank you for coming on. And I uh, so appreciated it. And I know the listeners have too.
1: Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: And everyone, if you guys want to learn about detoxification and the modern paleo diets and all about, you know, sign up to get uh, notifications about when my upcoming book will be published, go to live2110.com and sign up. And thank you so much for listening. My name is Wendy Myers and you can find me on live2110.com.